get a good feeling Like I know how I'm feeling Scraping me off the ceiling This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Good Feeling by Travis. This is a really, really, really good record. I think the guitar player finally has something to do. I don't think about fun, and I don't think about personality. Well, I don't even really need to say anything. I can just go home. <laughs> woohoo! Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 136. It's our third season, and we are... After a string of excellent picks by you, I have made a selection for this episode, one of my own, uh, that I'm pulling out of the archives. And um, I'm curious if you were familiar with this album, and I'm speaking of Good Feeling by Travis, which was released in 1997. Uh, I'm curious if you were familiar with this album before our review. I was. I remember the... The, the single I want to do is rock kind of having a lot of buzz around it. I remember the video. Mm-hmm. I won't get into it just yet. I don't want to spoil the review, but I was familiar with, with some of the material. Did you go back and rewatch the video? Cause I actually did. Cause I, I sort of remembered it, but I, I wanted to refresh myself. No. Okay. What I miss, you know, I, I discovered the band through the video Uh, It got played on like 120 Minutes or Alternative Nation, whatever it was on at the time in 1997. Sure. And uh, the video is essentially a girl driving down the street in her car and lead singer Fran Healy is standing there with his guitar and that's how the the song starts and he's just strumming his guitar singing. And then as the band sort of kicks in behind him, then all of a sudden the the drummer and the bass player and the other guitar player appear. And um, there's this cool effect that they do where they like freeze the frame and then zoom in or zoom out, sort of like in an old like 1960s like spy movie. Slowly, or more people appear, like you know, cars are pulling up behind her car. And when it gets to the the climactic part of the song where he um, screams, first uh, the first time he screams, like the windows blow out on a car, and then the second time he does it, the car blows up mm. because of his, his overly powerful mm. vocal. And at the end, when he's done, um, she just sort of drives around the band and drives away, leaving them there. Well, <laughs> we can get into the review, but um, that I think that video kind of encapsulates my my feelings on this record. So we'll talk okay. about that. Okay. So I'll just I'll just add a little bit more of my background. So I, I saw the video. I really liked the song. I went out and I found the record. Um, I think I found like a promo copy from that had been sold. At some point, because I, I picked it up at one of the local re- radio or uh, record stores used, so it was probably a radio promo copy that either our station or one of the other stations got rid of. And I, I don't think we really played that more than just the single, but I really uh, got into the album, and I was kind of into to British uh, pop at that time. I was I wasn't a huge Blur fan, but I did like Oasis, and this is all pre. You know, like Coldplay and, and those sorts of bands, um, sort of in the same era as like Radiohead and Supergrass. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Stereophonics were around at this time. It's just starting out. So this is like during that. I guess you'd say the the mid to late part of the of the Britpop 
era. You and I saw them on their second record when they opened for Oasis here in Columbus at the Ohio Theater, and they were out touring for The Man Who. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember seeing them. I didn't realize that was for the second record. God. Yeah. It's like it was like for the fourth record. Well, I'll, I'll bring up your comments during that show because those comments have sat with me for for a long time. I guess it's been um, about... Uh, God, that second album came out in 99, so we probably saw them in 99 or 2000, so it's been like 13 years since that, that show. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, so we've been talking about the record. I would have guessed like five. No, Jay, we're much older than that. I know. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about um, the history of this band briefly. History of the band. Travis formed in Glasgow, Scotland in 1990. Uh, the original lineup was actually different than the current lineup. The current lineup is Fran Healy on lead vocals and rhythm guitar. He was not a part of the original band. Um, Dougie Payne who was also not a part of the original band on bass, guitar, and uh, backing vocals. Andy Dunlop on lead guitar, banjo, and backing vocals. And Neil Primrose on drums and percussion. So they formed in 90. They went through multiple lineup changes between 90 and 94. They put out their first EP some around 94. Um, and then started working on uh, what would be their first record, Good Feeling released in September of 1997 on the Independ- Independiente record label. Um, they would release most of their albums on that label also with Sony backing them and whatnot. The Man Who, their second record, which is the one that a lot of people in the States are more familiar with because of the single Why Does Always Rain On Me. That came out in 99, in uh, May of 99. And uh, they followed that up with The Invisible Band in June of 2001. In October of 2003, 12 Memories was released. In May of 2007, The Boy With No Name. In September of 2008, Ode to Jay Smith. And then uh, as we're putting out this episode, Travis have a new album out. It's called Where You Stand. And it's released on Red Telephone Box, which is what they're also their previous album was released on so this was my suggestion but if other people would like to suggest an album please head on over to our website digmeoutpodcast.com and hit up our request to review page and you can request an album for us to review we got some facebook feedback on this record jay eric grubbs longtime contributor he said i remember rolling stone thought the band was going to be the next oasis thankfully that didn't happen this record is quite good with all i want to do is rock and tied to the 90s but the band made a masterpiece with The Man Who, their second record. Mark Thomas chimed in with, though not quite as sad core as the subsequent albums, such as The Man Who and their masterpiece, in my opinion, The Invisible Band. Um, This is definitely an indicator of things to come from the mid-aughts Britpop movement. Can definitely hear allusions to other later albums in addition to predating bands like Coldplay, Keen, Snow Patrol, among others. Now, I need to take umbrage with mr thomas snow patrol actually put out an album around the same time as this album so i don't consider snow patrol to be a a post travis band they're actually a a contemporary now coldplay i did some research coldplay would be three years before their first album would come out parachutes in 2001 uh keen it was 
like 2003 or 2004. Star Sailor, that's another relevant band. Love is Here, their first album came out in 2001. Doves, their first album, Lost Souls, came out in 2000. Elbow, Asleep in the Back, their first album came out in 2001. And then some other post-Travis bands I would consider, like Kaiser Chiefs and Aqualung, both in like the 2003-2004 era. So I think it's interesting in dicing up the Britpop movement in the same way that we, we dice up the grunge movement as saying like the first wave and then like the second wave and the, and the last wave of, of grunge and alternative in the 90s. I think there's a definite like Britpop being pulp, oasis, blur at the beginning. And then you get your mid-aughts with uh, your, like we mentioned, like Supergrass and Travis. And I think Supergrass is a little bit earlier. Stereophonics. And then the, the third wave which is sort of the last wave of the Coldplay, Star Sailor, Doves, those sorts of bands. And um, one note to mention about this record, produced by Steve Lillywhite, who's worked on quite a few records. Hmm. You can Google his name if you're not familiar. So, Jay, I I, uh, picked this record. That means you are the one to go first. So tell me, what did you think of Travis? Did this one give you a good feeling? Well, let me go back to the video. So... You were describing it, and it sounded like it was a pretty fun video, and mm-hmm. it had some personality to it. When I think back about this band, I don't think of either of those two things. I don't think about fun, and I don't think about personality. And now that's not to say that, you know, I I disliked the band. I mean, there was some stuff that they did that I did like, and when I saw them live, I, I think I well, I enjoyed them live. But I guess I just never thought them as being uh, thought of them as being a band you know, brimming with personality. When I went back and listened to this record, I was blown away by the amount of personality that's on this record that um, for some reason I didn't perceive the first time I listened to it. Um, the thing that was funny is that, I, you know, I was familiar with all I want to do is rock. And I looked at the track listing the first time I was going to listen to it and tied the nineties kind of popped out to me. And I said oh, to myself, you know, I remember that song and kind of could remember how it went in my head. So I you hit play and you know we go through all I want to do is rock and I, I'm uh, I'm I'm getting into the you know remembering the song but also noticing the production and just how things sound you know I'm peaking my interest then we get to U16 girls and I start thinking well this song sounds familiar I think I know this song and we keep going through the uh, keep going through the record I'm finding myself saying I know all these songs <laughs> um so I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to figure out at what point in my life I listened to this record because I, I felt like I know all of this material pretty well. And I don't, I never owned this on CD. So <laughs> it's either that kind of record where you hear it a couple times and it it's so easy to, to you know grasp and absorb that it just kind of sticks with you and it's always familiar or... Uh, there was a point maybe before we saw them live or something that I spent a ton of time listening to them. You know, overall, uh, this is this is a really, really, really good record. It's probably one of my favorites that we've done for sure wow. this season. Maybe, maybe in the, in the in the in the entire show. And I just feel like I'm scratching the surface with it, even though I'm familiar with the material and you know I've been listening to it a ton to prepare for this episode. I still feel like there's so much more to get from it. Just breaking, you know, starting to get to the point where I, you know, think about thinking about how they're constructing the songs and, you know, uh, trying to break that down and try to learn some things from that. And 
Um, I love the way it's produced. The way the guitars are used, I, I think, are just amazing because you know they're they're kind of fuzzy and and at times you know loud, but they're never over the top, I guess. Mm-hmm. But they still manage to like through the bass tone and the songwriting and just the way everything's layered. There's you know it's just when you crank this, it sounds huge. Um, it sounds, you know, fantastic. And, um, they're, they're able to sound big without get going over the top with like, you know, using a ton of distortion and things where I think some bands would, you know, try to do the soft, quiet thing, or even like, uh, even like Oasis. Like, I think the, the sound of this band is a lot more dimensional than even the Oasis is in terms of, you know, the two guitar tones and, um, the way it's produced and, there's I mean, much also, more. Um, there's much more rhythm to these guitars. It's not just yeah. Noel Gallagher pounding on a chord. You know. Yeah. It, there, there's like you mentioned, like U16 Girls. There's a lot of playing with the rhythm of the guitar and and bouncing it around off of the off the drums and the bass, and they do that throughout the record. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and there's just so. I mean, across the board, it's more interesting than Oasis is. You know, it's kind of like if you took the Oasis uh, germ of an idea, but just I don't, made it more expressive in every way. You know, I mean, that band is kind of. Um, it's almost like they don't emote much of anything at all. You know, they kind of just mm-hmm. stare at the floor, and, and musically, it kind of sounds that way. And some of, because some of the material is so good, they can kind of get away with it. But it's kind of a one-trick pony. Like, that band has always struck me as being very one-dimensional. Like, there's not... When they try to go in other directions, it just... It's a disaster. You know, they just sound like a bad Beatles ripoff. Whereas this band can play in this space of, like, pop, um, you know, kind of pop rock that at times has a little bit of edge to it, is really hooky, um, can draw on some, like, even, you know, kind of classic... um, bits and pieces and incorporate different kinds of instruments and it all sounds like in the same ballpark but it's all got so much more range to it it's so much more expressive like the way that he even the way he sings i mean he Mm -hmm. just he 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 can you know sing soft but he's not afraid to kind of you know belt things out and take his voice in different ways different places and you know really really be daring with with the vocal which is something you know if you compare them to oasis oasis never does i mean vocally they're just always 
you know, in the same spot. You know, mm-hmm. they pretty much got their formula down and they don't vary from it at all. And I love that he's willing to try different stuff and you know, he's willing to push it. And sometimes, you know, some standards it, you know, it, I wouldn't say it fails, but it's like a place where some singers may not want to go. But um, he's definitely a talented singer, um, a talented songwriter. You know, and there's a couple songs on here, U16 Girls, Tied to the 90s. I mean, they're they're anthems. I mean, they're songs that you could hear. You could hear. You could imagine. You could kind of close your eyes as you listen to them and kind of imagine them playing them at Wembley Stadium and a bunch of people singing along to it. And you can imagine them, like a bar full of people, just you know, when it comes on the jukebox singing the singing the songs. Mm-hmm. That, they're that good. So um, I think my only criticism, like, I'd be curious to get your input on this, is um, the sequencing at the end, uh, the last three songs. Not that they're bad songs, but it, it, it slows down quite a bit. Um, funny thing builds at the end, which is kind of nice. But And then to start off that sequence, More Than Us, I felt a little funky about... I mean, I like that they introduced some different instruments in here. You know, there's some, like, um, upright piano that's that's really cool and um, some stuff like that. Uh, but on More Than Us, they kind of introduced or an orchestra kind of thing. Well, strings and, and stuff. To give and, you a little background, before they were called Travis, they were called Glass Onion, named after the Beatles song Glass Onion, and they did a yeah. lot of Beatles covers. And that song, to me, has very strong across-the-universe influences in it. Like, there yeah. are definitely melodies nicked from that song. So I kind of feel like that might be a little bit of like a leftover from their earlier incarnation yeah. Because it's so blatantly Beatles influenced. More than he, more than she, they asleep, we just dream, it's more song works on the record i just don't think the addition of that level of production it, it almost betrays the rest of the record in terms of mm-hmm. to me what the intent seemed to be which the, the whole rest of this experience is very much about really well crafted um pop oriented songs that you just give to some you know four young guys who just you know play them 
with some attitude and um, they're a little bit, you know, loose and they just have energy and they're fun. Um, and at times they you know, have a little bit of a sense of humor to them, but they're also a little melancholy as well. And that song just all of a sudden seemed to take itself way too seriously out of nowhere. And uh, that was the only moment where I, I sort of questioned um, question it. But I mean, of 12 songs, there's only one. And it's still a good song. I just kind of wish they would do it, would have done it more stripped down to fit the rest of the record. So what do you think? Well, I don't even really need to say anything. I can just go home because <laughs> you pretty much. No, I'll say there, there's. So I mentioned some. Uh, we went to that Oasis Travis show, which was for the second album. And, you know, they, they came out and they played a lot of The Man Who just to start out. And that's a much quieter record. It's, they restrain the guitars. It's much more pop oriented. And they got to All I Want to Do is Rock later in the show. And you turned to me because the guitar player was, you know, jumping and doing leg scissor kicks and stuff like that. And you're like, I think the guitar player finally has something to do. <laughs> Because he had this giant, like, double orange stack behind him. But the whole show, he was kind of just, like, standing there strumming. And then they got, you know, 10 songs deep or whatever it was. And they play All I Do Is Rock. And he's jumping and leaping. And I I understand the people who say, oh, The Man Who is a Masterpiece or The Invisible Band. To me, this record from start to finish is just so good, so melodic, so much fun. And you mentioned it, like, even going back now, like, U16 Girls... I mean, that's like, it's so smart and it's funny without being jokey. It's just, it's brilliant songwriting. It's, the music is energetic and fun. You know, I can hear where bands years afterwards, like Kaiser Chiefs, were ripping off basically that that song for their entire careers. And um, that and along with like Midsummer Night's Dreamin'. And then Tide of the that's 90s, like, uh, is, it's got funny, it's got, it's got fun lyrics in it too. Because it's like... We're tired of the we're tired of the '90s, uh, but the '80s were worse. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's but at least we're not the '80s and stuff like that. Like it's and it's funny that it was written in the '90s, so yeah. it's it's very you know self aware. Something yes. worse than the 90s hey. Stuck in a pop Fashion is fast hey. And nothing is lasting hey. It's all get a blasting Oh, Lord knows Where it goes But I know It's so hard to tell you I get the feeling that Fran Healy had, from reading about him at this time, he had really like decided, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hunker down, and I'm going to be at the best songwriter, guitar player, singer that I can be. Like He had some deaths in his family, and it had profoundly affected him. He was like, I'm not going to let this pass me by. I have this opportunity. Because they were really struggling before this album came out, and I don't think this album broke them the way that they were hoping you know, it got on the charts, yeah. but yeah, um, there was a lot of optimism around it, right? 
And in the UK, it did okay, but none of the songs charted in the US and really made it beyond, like, you know, the late plays on MTV or anything like that, or maybe some college radio. But by 97, like, we've talked about it before, this was not a mainstream rock radio type of album in the United States. That had sort of passed by. So it made sense in the UK that this would be more successful. Now, the fact that in 99, Why Does It Always Rain On Me becomes a big single, that opens the floodgates for, like we mentioned, the Coldplays and Star Sailors and Doves and those sorts of bands. And I I think you hear on their second album him integrating more of the Jeff Buckley and, you know, the fake plastic trees style Radiohead um, balladry. Mm. I haven't gone back and listened to that record. I'd be curious to because I remember I remember thinking, wow, this is like a masterfully produced pop record because it was Nigel Goodrich who did it, or Godrich, who did um, you know a lot of work with Radiohead and, and other bands. Uh, but it just didn't have the bite that this record has. The, this this has like a Kinks, you know, the guitar plays guitars sound like small, like the faces at times, and they have like a, a nastiness without being over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, there's feedback. There's, yeah, you know, it's dirty, and there's great big sing along choruses and gang vocals. This album came out in 97, so I mean, they had a long time to get this right and get these songs pared down, and it's, it sounds like it. I mean, there's really, there's not a bad song written. Maybe the, there's one or two songs that are produced, and yeah, you can say that the, the album's a little front-loaded because there's three ballads to end the record, but man, it's a fun ride. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you go from All I Want to Do is Rock to Happy, there aren't a lot of bands that can produce that kind of run of songs that yeah. with a variety and you know good feeling has they break into like this eastern european sort of uh stomp in parts of the song it's you know a cool little accent that they do um on mm-hmm. the drums that make it a little just a little bit different and yeah it has kind of a cabaret or yeah, cabaret. Kind of feel to it with the upright piano and the rhythm and and midsummer night's dreaming is like uh the first darkness record uh, is it Friday night? Is that the name of the song? Mm-hmm. The the way that that 
song, the role that that song plays on the record, which is kind of like this fun sort of, you know, tale about, you know, kind of being young and going out and doing, you know, stupid stuff. And um, it's kind of right in the middle of the record. And this kind of is the same way. It's like right in the middle of the record. And it's just this, you know, ball of energy that's super catchy and, you know, the lyrics are fun and it just kind of puts a smile on your face. And it, it just reminds me of a, you know, a very, I guess because it's too British or too, not, yeah, British, I guess you could say. It just seemed like I somehow went together with the same kind of idea, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite song is uh, Good Day to Die. I just love, I love, that's like, uh, it's um, kind of like the best Oasis song, <laughs> you know. It kind of has a, a little bit of the their feel. Probably, probably of all the songs on the record, is probably the most that's like Oasis to me. But it's so much more interesting. It has so much more attitude, and the lyrics are so much better. The the line in the chorus where he's like, "My head's a brick wall, my heart's a football." It's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, I, think, I wanted to mention because one of the things I really liked about this band, especially during this era, and then the Man Who era, is that they put a lot of B sides, and I think this is a good window into how they're able to craft such melodic but like interesting and deep songs is they covered queen's killer queen with jason faulkner joining them and it is like note for note perfect yeah and that's a difficult song you can't just learn that i mean that's a difficult song to learn but then they also do a version of britney spears baby one more time that is they somehow turned it into a British power ballad. Yeah, that's that, and it's kind of brilliant. And they've done uh, covers, you know, the bird or the band, and uh, they've done uh, Beatles, obviously, and Mott the Hoople's all the young dudes, and Tyke the Talking Heads, and Big Star. So, and you know, some of these are live, and some of these are have been put on uh, B-sides and, and and rarities and whatnot. But, uh, Would you say that this this record is maybe their kind of more of a big star kind of thing? I'm not that familiar oh, yeah. with big star, but yeah, this is far close. Big star for as much as they were responsible, you know, for pushing the the power pop, and they were definitely on the noisier end of power pop. They were not, they, you know, they 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 were as much as influenced by like the the revolution guitar sound, especially when you get into like the. The Big Star Third album, which is basically Alex Chilton by himself, because I think Chris Bell was out of the band at that point. And um, there's a lot of noisy uh, songs on that record, but it's, it kind of strays away from even having a pop element on some of the songs. Uh, one of the most famous songs is Kangaroo, which Jeff Buckley covered. And it's basically like kind of a noise art piece that's mm. atonal in aspects. And uh, But they're, you know... Their most famous song is probably "In the Street," which Chip, Cheap Trick covered for the that '70s show theme song. The original version is pretty, I don't know, restrained. But you hear a band's interpretation of it, and they don't restrain it. And I think that that's where I think Big Star is a good uh, starting point for a lot of bands in terms of, you know, they covered "13," which was one of the acoustic ballads by by Big Star. But it's a it's a song. I've probably heard like 10 bands cover 13. 
Mm. Yeah, Wilco's covered it. Garbage has covered it. I mean, there's been a lot. <laughs> there's yeah. a ridiculous number of bands that have covered that song because it's it's a really amazing pop song. But I don't think you can. You know, there's a lot of '70s and Brit pop bands with that had. You know, like I mentioned with Oasis, they had the guitars, but not quite the melody that Travis had. And and Travis or Oasis were a huge backer of Travis at the beginning. They yeah, put them out on tour and and with them and you know before the band Who, but they were really supportive of that band when they were sort of taking off the first you know first time around. So yeah, I remember um, that. They talked they were, a lot about them in the press. Yeah, and I also don't think you can dismiss. You know, when I said that Fran Healy sort of like dedicated himself to doing this, he also said that he was really into a lot of like '70s singer songwriters, and, and Joni Mitchell was a huge influence on him. And they cover two Joni Mitchell songs in their in the Travis career. You know, that sort of basis when you learn, you know, just sitting down with an acoustic guitar and then building from there, that really can shape how much melody there is in the song, as opposed to starting with four chords and jamming out in a room. And then the melody isn't as important. I, I'm wondering how many of these songs actually were Fran Healy just sort of like bashing out on an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar at the time and then bringing it to the band and them forming it, but him with the kind of core melodic idea. Because it, it, it feels sounds like, that way. Yeah, it feels that way, but it feels that way with him allowing the band to be the band. You know what I mean? There's a lot of other bands where right. it's like they use that formula, but essentially everybody's like, kind of their personality is squashed out of the, the process and they're just kind of quiet i guess you could say in terms of their contribution but particularly on this record um it doesn't sound like that at all it sounds like you know he brought in this his foundation or had this foundation and then everybody kind of brought their own personality to it and uh, were allowed to you know sort of express whatever it is they wanted to express within the context of that and that's where that's where the you know some of the magic happens because um, I think if one person does it, it just kind of like it, it's too singular a vision sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. This is a tough one because I don't have anything negative really to say. I hate these records. <laughs> I just really like this record, and then you really like this record. So it's yeah, like... I got to be honest. I didn't. I really did not expect to like this as much as I did. I thought, like I said, remembering back, I thought of this record as being essentially. All I want to do is rock and tie to the 90s and a bunch of slow songs. And uh, <laughs> when I put it back on, I was like, wait a minute. It was almost to the point where it was like, you know, when U16 Girls came on, I was like, okay, I know this song, but this can't be Travis. Like, what, what's going on here? I'm confused. Like, I thought this was somebody else. You know, like Stereophonics or something. And, <laughs> and then the next song came on, the next song, and I'm like, all right, well, yeah, this is all Travis. Okay. Like, I clearly just misplaced this record in my own mind and so i, I was not expecting to uh, to like it as much i was uh thinking i was going to come in and probably be fighting you on some of this stuff wow well there you so go you finally got one right oh that's awful unfortunately i think this is this is a band that became sort of trapped of their own success because the man who while i think it's a great record doesn't have the same emotional impact for me because I felt like I discovered this band and this, and this album and was like, Hey everybody, this song is awesome. Or this, and this band is awesome. And nobody really cared. And then the man who came out and people were like, Oh, this is a really good band. I was like, yeah, I knew about this band three years ago. 
why weren't you why weren't you listening to me then and then they put out the invisible band and i'm like oh this is sort of the same record and then 12 memories came out and I go this is sort of the same record again yeah and by that point i was just sort of I'll be honest i haven't other than like an initial one or two listens i have not uh, listen to The Boy With No Name or Ode to J. Smith probably more than once. Um, so I'm, I'm listen- actually... Oh, go ahead. I listened to Ode to J. Smith when it came out, mm-hmm. I remember, a, a little bit. And I, th- I remember it being uh, a little bit more of a return to the first record. I think there's a little bit more uh, you know, electric guitars and energy on it, let's mm-hmm. say, but it wasn't any... Like, it did not... It didn't blow me away. I think there was some moments on it that were, were reminiscent of this record, but uh, overall, it wasn't uh, wasn't there. But it, I, I want to kind of go back. This is making me want to go back and at least cherry pick their records a little bit here and see if yeah. I can find some more stuff that. I mean, I, I'm familiar with like Sing, Ready to Reach You, and Driftwood. You know those songs off of the Visible Band and the Man Who, and they're fine. I mean, they're, they're a nice little pop song, but they're not like, I don't know. They're just kind of boring. <laughs> they got a little serious. Yeah, yeah. And melancholy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I'm interested to hear the new record and see what what's on there to see if it's a return to a louder noise or uh, more of the, the, the quieter stuff. So. so you're at a full album on this one like me, Jay? Yep. Excellent. And, uh, you know, we sometimes we try to say who these bands would be recommended for today. I don't. What's the current state of Britpop? <laughs> oh, my Lord. There is none. Is there such a thing? No, I don't think there is. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, Kaiser Chiefs are still around and you've got like, I don't know, is Fran- Franz Ferdinand would sort of be like down the line. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can cheat and go to Spotify related artists that are recent are uh franz ferdinand and kt tunstall that's that that chick who just who plays guitar and shouldn't say that chick that woman who plays guitar and the black horses and the <laughs> yeah okay, and cherry uh, tree yeah zora that, likes that song yeah Woo-hoo! that one but everybody else on it razor light kaiser chiefs i mean they're all the same bands that yeah yeah nobody knew nobody knew well this is our take on Travis's debut album, Good Feeling. We have gone against the grain, and we have called it and said this is their best record. We expect some disagreement. Feel free to chime in, disagree with us, and also feel free to leave us some positive feedback over at our iTunes page. Uh, you know that would be uh, that would be greatly appreciated as well. And then of course, you can suggest an album. Uh, by visiting digmeoutpodcast.com and uh, hitting up our request review page. So uh, I'm glad I've turned you, Jay. You are now a fan of Travis and their album Good Feeling. I've done my job. Welcome to the dark side. Well, and uh, <laughs> I was, I mean, I, I like them. I just didn't realize I liked them as much as I thought I did. Right. I so, I mean, I, you know, you, you can take a short victory lap, but don't get out All of right. Don't get crazy. All right. Rain it in. I'll take a quarter mile then. You could be uh, way off next week. Yeah. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We'll be back next week with another episode of Digging Out. I would really like to talk with you. Get- 
Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. 